Andy this morning. And for the rest of us, if you are able, please rise as we hear God's word. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Colossians, chapter 3. You have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. Father, we are instructed even right in these words to let the word of Christ dwell among us richly. And so that is our prayer right now, that, that your word, your gospel, which is so powerful, which transforms us, would dwell in us richly even right now, that we would hear it not just as words, but as your word, that your spirit would open our minds and our hearts and shape us and renew us, that more and more we would become the people you have created us to be. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been with us for the last, I don't know, month and a half, you know that what we have been considering together is growing. We've been saying that Colossians is really a guide to help us to know how do we grow. And growing is important to us. We know to live is to grow. When you stop growing, you stop living. And Colossians says, this is what it looks like for a Christian to grow. And in the last two weeks or so, our focus has been especially oriented towards this one idea of motivation more than anything else. That is, for us to grow, that we need to have a desire. What is it that drives us? What is it that pushes us to keep changing and stretching ourselves? What is our motive for growing? And what we see, if we've been looking and listening carefully, is that the motives that we normally think of that drive us, think, think of what drives you throughout the week, um, the desire to achieve, the desire to accomplish, fear of failure, the importance of proving yourself. These things that so much characterize what drives us every waking hour has almost nothing to do with what it looks like to grow as a Christian. Because what the gospel says is that when you trust in Christ, you are in 
Christ. Your old self, the one who is just you, has died. And now, risen in Christ, you are no longer just you. You are you with Jesus. And that means fear of failure has no place because failure has already been dealt with. The desire to qualify yourself, to gain approval is not needed because you're already loved and accepted and part of the family of God. These drives that are so much a part of what characterize us in terms of what focus our attention don't have a place when it comes to growing as a Christian. So a couple weeks ago, perhaps you remember in chapter 2, Paul is talking to the Colossian church and says, you need to stop worrying about these Christian rituals, these spiritual techniques, these ways of trying to discipline your body in your own strength to work your way up to God because you don't need to do that. God has come down to you. He has united you with Christ. He has brought you to himself. This is something that, that Paul is at pains to say again and again, and it's, it's a truth worth underlining. Because when we really understand what it's saying, we also might recognize that it goes so counter to just the way that we are. I mean, think about how almost every aspect of your life is driven by this kind of double force of trying to prove yourself and achieve and this fear of failure. It's in everywhere. I mean, um, some of you might know that we are, we just put our house in the market. We're looking for a home that might better suit hospitality. And so for the last month, we have been working our tails off. I mean, we have painted everything that doesn't move. We have, you know, like found anything that's squeaky and tried to fix it. It is cleaner than it's ever been. We have been ruthless in decluttering. And this isn't just because we really like this as a hobby. It's, it's because we... We want to get the buyer's approval, right? We want to earn, to, to get them to like our home. And that drives us. If you're in high school right now, right now, I'm sure you're feeling this. Because for many of you, exams are in this coming week. And you don't study because it's cool. You are studying because you know if you don't, you might fail. And you know that you need to prove yourself to the colleges so you can get into the right college and keep moving forward. We're driven by that desire for approval. It happens in work, right? Whether it's your client, whether it's your employer, you're always aware of how you're being seen, always trying to demonstrate that you're worthy of their business. It even can happen in friendship. How often do we find in our relationships this feeling of a need to come off as, as kind and, and interesting and, and maybe even funny so that we're the kind of person that other people want to hang around with? If you think about it, sometimes life feels like one long audition where we're constantly being driven by what other people think and driven, if we're honest, by a fear of failing. And so when that's the way that we live in almost every sphere and suddenly we come to Christianity, it is hard for us to realize that Christianity is so different Christianity is not prove yourself, prove yourself. It is you are already pre-qualified in Christ. You are already accepted. There is no place for fear of failure. You do not need to work your way up. God has done it for you. The Christian message is not live well so that you can be loved. It is you are loved and now you can live well. 
And it's such an important thing for us to understand, and it's so hard for us to understand that in some ways our entire life is about coming to recognize what that means. That you are in Christ, that you are loved, that you have his seal of approval placed upon you. But as we come to understand that gospel truth, which is so, so crucial, it is easy for us still to misunderstand what that means. Because in our minds, we still so connect why we give effort to fear and the need to prove ourselves. Like those two are so connected in our thinking that when we are told, you don't need to do that. You don't have to fear. Everything has been done for you in Christ. Our natural way of thinking can often be, okay, so that means I don't need to have any effort at all. I can just be, well, passive. This, honestly, is a common mistake within the church. When you start understanding what it means that you are saved by grace, by God's generous love, that you are saved because of what Christ has done and not because of what you do, it is a common thing to think, okay, that means there is no place for effort. I just kind of need to passively allow God to do things. And so it's common for people to kind of feel like, I'm going to just kind of assume that if I'm supposed to do something differently, God will give me the desire, and until he does, I'll just kind of be where I'm at. Because we've so connected, though the reason you do something is because of fear or because of a desire for approval. And if there's not fear or desire for approval, why do you do something? But if we think about it for a moment, we should realize that that's actually not the way life is. The things that are most important to us are oftentimes the things that are driven by other drives or desires. So let's assume that our house does sell and someone else moves into it. My guess is in the first couple of weeks, they are going to decorate, they are going to unpack, they're going to do a ton of work, and it's not because they're afraid of what other people are going to think of them. It's because they have received this, and now they want to use it to the full. Or, or really, think about what healthy relationships look like. Healthy relationships are not all about me trying to get you to like me and think highly of me. Right? When you're in a healthy relationship, is you already know that you're loved. And because you know that you're loved, you want to love the other person well. Even within work, the, the work that can be most satisfying and least stressful is when we just simply take delight in the work that we're doing, irrespective of how other people view it. The motives that actually are life-giving and joy-bringing are not fear and the desire to prove ourselves. The real motivation that, that gives us wholeness is when we're motivated by love and by hope and by gratitude. And, and, that's, and that's what the Christian gospel calls us to, to now that we know who we are in Christ, now that we know that we have hope, now that we know that we are loved, to respond with effort and with energy out of hope and gratitude and love. And that's the connection we see in our passage. If you look with me at verse 12, you see this connection really clearly. 
So it begins with the command, put on then, but before it even gives the full command, it wants to remind you something of who you are. Put on, therefore, going back to the previous part, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now, it's such a short phrase there, it's easy for us to go past it, but we, we, we must not. Hear that again, that you, you, if you've put your trust in Christ, you are chosen by God himself. Before you were even born, God knew your name. He knew your personalities, your idiosyncrasies, your taste in food and music. He knew you, and he set his love upon you. And he said, you are mine. And by choosing us and loving us and bringing us to himself, he has made you holy. Whether you feel that way or not, you are a saint in God's eyes. So he says, therefore, remembering this truth, that you are loved, that there is nothing more that you need to do, you are chosen by God, that you are holy, now, here's the command, because of these things, as these things, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, and the list goes on. So, so you notice the connection. Here's the truth. You don't need to demonstrate yourself to God. You are loved. You are already selected by him and chosen. So now it's time to get to work. Do you see that? I mean, the commands is calling for effort. It's calling for us to make some choices. It's calling for us to be intentional. Paul says, because you know this glorious truth, let's get to work. There's this uh, theologian by the name of Jonathan Edwards who lived a few centuries ago. And after he died, his diary was discovered. And one of the things that was seen at the very beginning of the diary was that he wrote a whole bunch of resolutions. He would say, like, resolved these personal goals. Here, here are just a few of them. You know, one of the first ones we wrote, resolved to live with all my might while I live. Later on, maybe when he was feeling irritated with someone else, resolved never to do anything out of revenge. Later on, resolved to examine carefully and constantly what that one thing in me is which causes me to doubt the love of God and to direct all my forces against that. He set these goals for himself. Now, when he did this, he didn't think that life was all about self-improvement. And he did not think that he needed to do this to get God's approval. Edwards understood the gospel very well. What he understood was that he has been given so much in Christ Jesus. And he knew that the way to take advantage of that reality was to make choices, was to drive himself to take hold of what God had given him in Christ. To, to give one final example from like the, the home selling, imagine, imagine you just bought a house and you moved in and there's boxes everywhere and your kitchen is just covered by boxes and every room is crazy and full and there's one room that's calm and so just you and your family just camp out in that room for the rest of your life. And you always order takeout because you can't use the kitchen because you're so tired of moving in. It'd be nuts, right? I mean, you have this great house but you're never doing the work to actually enjoy it and take hold of it. That's what Christian immaturity is. Christian immaturity, you have been given everything in Christ Jesus, but for so often, for so many people who do not grow, they are staying in one little room, just camping out, ordering takeout, not realizing how much they could take hold of if only they chose to embrace it. 
And so that's, that's what Paul is saying. Here is what you are. You are God's chosen. You are loved. Now it's time to get to work to take hold of the glorious treasure you have in Christ Jesus. And so that's where this passage takes us. For the remaining time, we'll notice that there are, there are two ways that Paul specifically tells you, here's something, if you want to enjoy more fully, to experience more fully the treasure you have in Christ Jesus, here are two things I'm wanting you to take hold of. You need to take hold of the peace of Christ, and you need to take hold of the word of Christ. And so I want us to think about these, and in both of them, I want to encourage you at a certain point to actually consciously think, what is a step I can take so I can be proactively more fully enjoying the treasure that God has for me? What is something practical that I can do? So first, the peace of Christ. When you get to about halfway through, I think it's verse 15, we read, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now, peace of Christ is one of the gifts that we have in Christ Jesus. It's one of the, the precious gifts. And what's being talked about here is not that sense of inner calm that sometimes Christians describe, although that is truly a gift. What, what, what's being spoken of here is the, the connection that you and I have with each other. Uh, notice like the whole sentence. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. That one body he's talking about is the body of Christ, the church. That is, when God redeemed you, when he made you his own, it's not just that he made you whole again through Christ, and it's not just that he brought you back to himself. He connected you to a community. And that's part of his gift. Think of it this way. We've, we've said again and again that, that what the gospel says is that once you have trusted in Christ, you are no longer just you. You are now you with Jesus. And the fact is, that's true for me too. Now, I am me with Jesus, which means both of us are united with Jesus, which means both of us are united with each other. If you are a believer in Christ, if you belong to this body, there is a bond between you and me that goes deeper than socioeconomic class, that goes deeper than ethnicity, that goes even deeper than blood and nuclear family. I mean, notice what verse 11 says. Here, in Christ, as a believer, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Christ is all and in all. Christ defines you, if you are a Christian, more than anything else, and Christ defines me more than anything else which means you and I are family more deeply than we even realize. I've said this before, and I think maybe sometimes it might come off as hyperbole. It's not. I'm not exaggerating. Our bond in Christ is deeper than even the bond that you share within your nuclear family. That's the peace of Christ. And it's beautiful. And, and the instruction here is let the peace that God has given you as he has brought you together with others, erasing the barriers, let that peace rule over you. As you are making decisions, as you are choosing to behave in certain way towards other people, as you're thinking about your life, the peace of Christ needs to be the judge that guides you. So, so that when you are 
thinking about how you relate to others, it is not an option for you to be at odds with someone else. Because you know the peace of Christ means that you and that person are connected. So the peace of Christ ruling over you means you are going to reconcile yourself to someone. Or if there's someone who is disconnected from the community, it means you reaching out because the peace of Christ is your master. That's what it means to take hold of the peace of Christ, to let it rule in your hearts. And Paul gets practical and says, here's, here's what I mean. The verses leading up to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, I think, is all kind of building there. It's kind of saying, here's how it happens. And what he says is, you need to put on, put on what you have in Christ. These virtues that he describes are the virtues of Jesus himself. And now that you are you with Jesus, are accessible to you. And he says, just like you put on clothing, you need to put these on because they're yours. And you will need them to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And really, we see kind of two groups of what we're supposed to put on. The first, we can say all focus on, on other person-orientedness. So put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, and kindness, and humility. Compassionate hearts, I love this. Literally, it's intestines of mercy. So it's the idea of like this gut. I mean... It, you know how when sometimes you hear of someone's situation and just you feel it and you care and you kind of suffer with them. That's what it's talking about here. It's saying put on a lack of callousness. When someone else is going through things, don't just kind of disconnect yourself from it. Don't, don't, don't blame and say, well, it's their fault they made this mistake. Feel with them. Kindness, we understand, because we've experienced it. You know how sometimes you notice that someone has just has noticed you, and they've done something that they went out of their way to do good to you. You've gotten a, a card that you didn't expect, or a gift, or, or some sort of favor, and you just feel special. That's kindness. Humility, I once heard defined as, it's not about primarily thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking about yourself less. That is, in humility, we, we really find other people more worthy of our attention than ourselves. So these three together, it is, it is a call to be other person oriented so that our attention and our energy is spent noticing and caring and feeling for others in the body of Christ as we feel for our own needs. Because that's what it looks like to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Now the second group is about when that connectedness to each other isn't easy. So we see this group of, of three. You know, after humility, it says meekness or, or gentleness. Gentleness is when you choose not to use force that you otherwise could. After meekness, we see patience, which literally means is, is long-suffering. And I like that translation because that's what it's talking about, suffering long. In fact, the next idea even has it more clearly, bearing with one another. This is not a rosy picture of the peace of Christ. This is wonderfully realistic. It's saying that if you are united in Christ, you are united not only with shiny, happy people who are emotionally secure and spiritually mature, and absolutely lovely to spend your lives with. If you are experiencing the peace of Christ with his body, you're experiencing it with sinners who are, you know, honestly like you, who, who have idiosyncrasies that can truly get on people's nerves, 
who can be insensitive, who can be trying to fix you and be judgmental, who can cause you pain. And the calling is, if you are letting the peace of Christ rule, that means you are going to bear with them. You're not going to just disconnect yourself because, frankly, they take too much energy. But you're actually going to continue to stick with them even though they can get on your nerves. It goes even further, doesn't it? It even says at times they are going to hurt you. If someone has a complaint against someone, which implies if someone's done something wrong and has really hurt the other, what happens? We forgive one another because we are letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. We are taking hold of what it means that we are in Christ and, and enjoying this gift and doing the hard work. So here's a moment I want us to just pause and, 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 and I want to invite you to ask yourself this question. In this coming week, what is something you can do? Maybe it's not big, maybe it's small, to move more fully towards letting the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Maybe your issue is that you are just so preoccupied with your own stress, your own needs, that you find yourself thinking so little, if you're honest, about anyone outside of at least your immediate family. And so maybe for you this week, it's, it's a goal of saying, I want to pay more attention to others. I want to listen better. I want to be maybe praying more for others and allowing their difficulty to be a weight on my shoulders so that I can give of myself to care for them. Or maybe for you right now, even as you're thinking, you realize that there is someone, even within this congregation, that you just don't like. And you've been trying to kind of disconnect yourself from them and just kind of avoid them. Or maybe even you are at odds with that person because there's something that's happened. Either you have wronged them or they have wronged you, and you just really don't feel comfortable around them. So maybe for you, it's moving towards that person and seeking to be reconciled, because that's what it means to let the peace of Christ rule among us. Take a moment. What, what is one thing before God that you, as you seek to take hold of the peace of Christ, one step that you feel like God might be calling you to take this week? Now, as you're maybe thinking this through, maybe a part of you is kind of pushing back. And maybe you're saying, you know what, honestly, that's just not me. Like, I know some people are really good at that whole note writing thing or being really considerate, but I'm just not that way. Or maybe you're saying, I just don't think it's within me to be able to forgive that person. I just do not have that strength. And I, I, I want to say as gently but as sincerely as possible, you're dead wrong. You're still thinking that you are just you. You are you with Jesus. And Jesus was the more, most considerate, compassionate, kind person that has ever lived. He gave of himself fully, focusing on you in humility. And now he says, here, I have that in abundance. I'm going to share that with you. Put it on. The Lord has forgiven you. Paul reminds you of that. He has this ability to experience pain and yet show only love and compassion towards us. And he says, now I will give that forgiving heart to you. Perhaps you're familiar with the story of Corey Ten Boom. There was this moment where she, who had experienced being in a concentration camp herself, was 
face to face with someone who had formerly been a Nazi, who had done terrible things, and had, and in that moment, he was asking her for forgiveness, and she thought, I, I cannot do this. And she found herself just praying helplessly, Lord, enable me to do what I can't. And she found her hand reaching out to the hand that was extended to her, and he, she said with sincerity, with a power that she didn't know she had, I forgive you with all my heart. She was putting on what she had in Christ. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It is there for you to take hold of. And we also see this encouragement to take hold of the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And the word of Christ, or as it's sometimes translated, the message of Christ, it's talking about the gospel. We've spoken already, as as the gospel permeates us, as it changes us, as we are filled with an understanding of the knowledge of God's will, it is so powerful. And so Paul says, take hold of that. There is a treasure there. Take hold. Let the word of Christ dwell in you abundantly. In the Ziegler household, cereal is a big deal. I don't know if you know that, but I, I, I buy like caseloads of mini wheats and raisin bran from Costco, and they're done like in 36 minutes. I mean, we, you know, like we have like 17 bowls for breakfast, and then like, you know, of course, the mid-afternoon snack, and then like late night, because you know, who, why not? And so like what we can say is the cereal dwells abundantly in the home of the Zigglers. It is always there in every situation in great supply. Paul says, let the word of Christ be always there in every situation in great supply so that it is always present. You know, sometimes when the staff or the elders are thinking through what, what our goals are for this church, we regularly come back to this idea of developing gospel intuitions. And what we mean by that is we know that the truth of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus needs to go so deeply that it shapes the most practical of our decisions. It shapes the way we relate to family. It shapes how we perceive work. It shapes how we relax, how we dream. That's, that's what we're talking about. We're saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly or abundantly, that it's developing your very intuitions. And Paul talks a little bit how to do that. He, he speaks about instruction, you know, that we uh, admonishing and teaching one another with all wisdom. In other words, the gospel is not just the entry point. You don't just kind of know that, believe that, and move on. You are a lifelong learner if you are a Christian in the gospel. You, you are called to continue to be thinking about it, to be reading about it, to be talking about it with each other. That's one of the reasons we have our discipleship groups. Our discipleship groups, our goal is to help the word of Christ to dwell among us abundantly as we are sharing with each other and growing with each other. And it can happen in informal ways, whether personally through reading a book that's helpful or or just talking honestly and asking for prayer and, and showing forgiveness. That's the way the word of Christ dwells amongst you abundantly. And we could spend more time talking about that if we had more time, but I do want to just focus a little bit more on the other piece of what Paul talks about when he says, let the word of Christ dwell amongst you abundantly. Do you notice right before 
he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He says, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Do you see how right before and right after the command to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, there is this command to be thankful? And I think we're supposed to understand that letting Christ's word dwell richly and gratitude go hand in hand. I think I've come to discover that gratitude simply is the art of paying attention to God's grace. Right? I mean, that's, that's what it is. It's, it's taking notice of how the gospel is at work in our daily existence. And so often you are hearing other messages. And it's just like, you know, whether it's coming from within or without, one of them being, you're going to fail, you're going to lose, you need to be afraid, things are going to be terrible. Or sometimes you hear the message, you rock. You did this all by yourself, and you deserve it better than anyone else does. And both of them, of course, are lies. And, and gratitude is saying, look at what God has done. Just look. Look at what God is doing it is an antidote to the poison that fills our soul. And let me say, in my opinion, the more affluence we enjoy, the more intentional we have to be about gratitude. You know, when we were first married, when we were in seminary, we had barely any money to spend. And so anytime we were able to buy a cappuccino, it was the most awesome thing in the world. And we loved it. Now we have, you know, we go to Starbucks or whatever, and we don't even think about it. Because once you have something repeatedly, it just is something you expect, and you almost can feel entitled to. And so when you have more, you have less and less space for gratitude, unless you are paying attention. And so this is what it looks like to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, to, to be intentionally grateful. Let me ask you for the second bit of homework for you to consider. What is something that you can do this week where you can more fully take hold of the word of Christ within you by being more consciously grateful? Maybe it's getting in the habit of writing down daily blessings that you've experienced. Or maybe it's, you know, over dessert with family just talking about what are ways that we've seen God's goodness together. Or maybe it's just making sure that when you're spending time in prayer, you set aside time for thankfulness and you just pay attention to what God has shown. Our weakness in our faith in the gospel oftentimes is because we simply don't even see what God is doing in our lives. And gratitude allows the word of Christ, the gospel, to go down deeply. What is, what is one way that you can choose to take hold of the treasure of the word of Christ in your life? How can you allow the word, uh, the, the peace of Christ to rule in your hearts more fully? What is one thing you can do? How can you let the word of Christ dwell in you more richly? Can you imagine if all of us are taking steps together, what that would look like? If, if all of us had this increasingly deep love for each other and commitment to be connected to each other, if all of us had this increasing conviction of the grace of God and have a deeper joy, wouldn't that just be beautiful? That's the gift God has for us in Christ Jesus. Because we're not just ourselves anymore. We don't need to achieve anything anymore. We are us 
with Christ. And that is glorious. And we are called to get to work to take hold of what God has for us. So I'd like us even now, as, as is our custom, to as we have heard God's word, to respond in prayer. However God has been speaking to you now, I invite you to then move towards prayer with that. If there's something you have felt convicted about, to use this as a time of confession. And if you felt an inadequacy, to use this as a time of prayer, saying, Lord, I want to do this. Please help me. And then in a moment, I will lead us in prayer. So would you please join with me in silent prayer together. Father, thank you that even as we come before you aware of our failings, our inadequacies, we are able to come to the ruler of the universe without fear, but instead with hope and with gratitude. Because you have told us and you have shown us definitively in Christ that you are the one who has forgiven us and that you have loved us, and that you have chosen us and made us holy. And so, Lord, knowing that this is true, we ask again for your forgiveness for our sins. And we ask, Lord, that your spirit would enable us more fully to take hold of the treasure that we have in Christ Jesus. Lord, we confess that we have not always done a good job of taking hold of the peace of Christ and letting it rule in our hearts. And so we confess our self-centeredness, our lack of patience and long-suffering with others, our preference sometimes to be comfortable rather than connected. We ask not only that you would forgive us, but that you would change us and, and allow the peace to rule in our hearts more deeply. And Father, we confess also to being inattentive to your grace. To being so frequently ungrateful for the ways that you bless us beyond what we possibly can comprehend. We ask also for your forgiveness here. And we ask that you would open our eyes and open our hearts. That we might experience the joy that comes in seeing your love for us. Father, we pray these things boldly because we know that we are in Christ. And so in his name we pray, amen. Here again, the good news of the gospel, this time from Romans, where we're told that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. By the Father, through the Son, and in the Holy Spirit, your sins are forgiven. Thanks be to God.